Hey everyone, welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. This is a podcast focusing on the connections between anime and Canadian media. And in this episode, we're going to be focusing on another anime series that has had a unique cultural impact uh, and presence in Canada, mainly because this is one of the only countries where people have actually seen it outside of Japan, or at least uh, the English language version uh, and the French language version as well, because uh, this never aired in France. We're talking about Yama Nezumi Rocky Chuck or Rocky Chuck the Mountain Rat, better known in English as Fables of the Green Forest uh, and in French as Les Contes de la Forêt Vert. And there was also a second English dub of the series, apparently called Friends of the Forest. And I got to say right off the bat, I think it's a terrible title because these uh, cute little animals, for the most part, are not really friends, in my opinion. I think they would... Uh, stab each other in the back in a heartbeat. But joining me for this episode, I have uh, two very special guests. Uh, first is someone I've been hoping to get on the show for a very long time. I'm very glad he could join us today. It's Ed Conroy from Retro Ontario. Thank you for having me on, Jesse. Uh, I've been uh, running Retro Ontario for about 20 years now. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, we try to uncover and preserve as much television, pop culture, film pop culture that we can uh, through the, the wonderful world of social media. Uh, we have a fleet of uh, VCRs that are constantly converting uh, old analog tapes to the digital format and uh, uncovering wonderful gems along the way. And you deal a lot with uh, with lost media and the real lost media, not, the not just the buzzword lost. That's media. right. The real the real lost media. Yes, we uh, just by its very nature come across a lot of stuff that was uh, thought to be lost uh thankfully now is back in circulation so uh, we don't focus only on that but that is certainly a big part of what we do and joining us for a second time very glad to have him back on the show it's atn desolate trump our des yeah. as he goes by yeah i feel like a veteran already so uh i'm des i'm uh, i'm a webcomic artist from quebec city and uh, an all-around uh, japanese uh, pop culture geek and has been uh, such a geek for a very, very long time, in part thanks to uh, these old, uh, uh, these old uh, French language uh, dubs of uh, Japanese anime that played on TV here in the, um, the early, early 80s, uh, anime such as this show we're going to discuss tonight. <laughs> yeah. And you, you have... A I was there when it played. Hmm? It's, it, you have such a crucial critical perspective that it's uh very rare to hear on on english yeah, language yeah. uh stuff like this and also you, yeah you... I, like i said uh, uh, during our sorry my english is broken right now our last podcast we did together i think french canadians have a very unique experience with anime com compared to like everybody else in uh in north america but also in france because like we were at the very uh at the middle of like two cultures maybe even three culture if we count like Japanese stuff. Mm -hmm. Like we had stuff from France. Uh, we had stuff from the USA also, like stuff like Gatchaman, uh, Battle of the Planets, that that reached us, but it, they did they didn't have that show in France. And this show that that we're gonna discuss today didn't air in France, but I'm gonna keep that for later. So yeah, we, we had a pretty unique perspective, I think, when it comes to uh, all of those uh, yeah old, old school shows. And far more of those shows were dubbed in Quebec than uh, mm -hmm. than some might care to admit in uh, over in France. Um, and Des, I, I think actually last time we had you on, I, you do a you do a web comic and, and a couple other things. I didn't think yeah. get it. we didn't we didn't get into that too much. Could you tell uh, just talk talk about that just for a sec? Oh yeah, but my web comic is called Frivolesque. Uh, it's a kind of slice of life anime inspired 
slice of life, a kind of zany uh, character-based uh, comedy featuring a bunch of girls living in Quebec City. A rare case. My work is a rare case of uh, a piece of media set in Canada where I'm not afraid to to say it's set in Canada. <laughs> Because I feel Damn like straight. usually uh, Canadian writers like to pretend like th their story could happen anywhere. It's like some weird American slash Canadian vague place that doesn't have any, you know, any recognizable landmarks or anything. So we don't uh, alienate potential American audiences. I just don't care. It takes place in Quebec City. I have like a ton of French names. But uh, I think my stuff can be enjoyed by anyone on the planet, I hope. <laughs> I've been doing that for like almost 10 years, but I've been on the hiatus for a few few years now. I'm really, I'm, I'm really going to, uh, to resume my work soon, though. Yeah, the noblest of causes, uh, in my yep. opinion. Um, so just to give a, just a quick rundown of, of what this show is, uh, Rocky Chuck the Mountain Rack debuted in Japan on Fuji TV. January 7th, 1973, it ran for 52 episodes, animated oh. by Zuyo Ezo, uh, which would later become Nippon Animation, and Mushi Production, uh, and it aired as part of the Kalpis Comic Theater Block, uh, which would later have its name changed to World Masterpiece Theater, which is what most people know it as today. And actually, mm -hmm. Ed, I'm curious, are you, Ed, are you familiar with World Masterpiece Theater and that, um, that whole kind of tradition in Japan? A little bit. I, yeah. I did work on uh, Beyblade for a little while, which mm -hmm. gave me an opportunity to visit Japan and uh, understand a little bit more about that. Yeah, there it's every show in World Masterpiece Theater is based off of some, you know, piece of Western literature. Right. Each one, each one is 52 episodes. You got things like Dog of Flanders, uh, Heidi of the Alps, Moomin, Rascal the Raccoon. Uh, which notoriously resulted in all those raccoons being imported into Japan. These shows are just were all ma like massively popular, widely viewed. Uh, the way that many Japanese children absorbed absorbed these Western stories, and you know, obviously, it's where uh, Isao Takahata and Hayao Miyazaki, uh, where they sort of made their names in the animation industry in Japan as well. And this is uh, this was one of those shows because it is based off of uh, the work of American author Thornton uh, Thornton W. Burgess, uh, who wrote over 170 books and 15,000 stories with these characters. The uh, he's he, he was uh, quite an amazing figure. And uh, when it aired in Canada, the English dub aired on the provincial educational broadcasters, including TVO in Ontario, Knowledge Network in BC, Access Alberta in Alberta, and I believe on SCN as well. Um, it debuted for the first time on TVO, September 18th, 1979, and it ran very frequently and very prominently throughout most of the 1980s. Uh, the French dub was produced by Synchro Quebec that ran on Radio Canada beginning January 9th, 1982, uh, and I only ran for a few years on there, not as long as it did on TVO, if I, uh, if I recall correctly. Uh, and it was, Fables of the Green Forest was one of the first anime to air in English on a English language Canadian broadcaster in 1978. It had around a debut around the same time as Battle of the Planets did on global affiliates. Uh, before that, any anime that aired in English in Canada, you would have viewed through um, uh, an American border broadcaster, or you would have got over the over the border uh, with an antenna. So to start, maybe we'll just uh, each talk a little about how we discovered the show, or you know how we discovered the sort of programming that 
that uh, th this show was a part of. Uh, Ed, can you just talk about your background with Fables of the Green Forest and you know just TVO uh, TVO content in the the seventies and eighties? Yeah, sure. I think you know to cue it up um, with with TV Ontario, they have a very interesting history. They started broadcasting in nineteen seventy. Uh, they were obviously falling under the auspices of the Department of Education or the the education portfolio. So there was a real focus on educational content, uh, even to the degree that, you know, their programming blocks in the morning and the afternoon were aimed at children. Uh, but even their adult programming had to contain an educational component. Mm -hmm. So for example, they showed Doctor Who uh, in the 1970s. But after the episode was over, they had Judith Merrill, who was a noted science fiction author, uh, discussing the episode afterwards and placing it in context of science fiction literature. So, you know, it was it was a really fascinating channel. And I think what happened was a lot of uh, parents sort of uh, saw TV Ontario as as a as a babysitter, an electronic babysitter for their children. And so I grew up, uh, I was born in 76, but I have very strong memories of, of seeing TVO right from, you know, my, my earliest childhood experiences with television were, were on TVO. Uh, obviously, things like Polka Dot Door, which was their version of a, of a British series for kids, that was kind of the flagship children's program. But they did run all of these uh, fascinating cartoons that were from around the world. And I think that's probably why a lot of people uh, of a certain age, let's say Generation X people, um, have this real fondness about growing up in the 80s with TVO because it wasn't just the usual pablum that we saw on, as you mentioned, Global or, or on the Buffalo channels, uh, you know, the usual cartoons everybody remembers from the 80s. TVO had these, you know, British programs and French programs, things like uh, Barba Papa, uh, Dr. Snuggles, um, Paddington the Bear, and of course, Fables of the Green Forest. I didn't know uh, Barba Papa ever aired in English. I'm very surprised about that. Yes. Well, it was it, like super French. <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny. The, the, the English or the Canadian dubs of Barba Papa are, are in a similar class of, of lost media that we've been talking mm -hmm. about and there's only a few and unfortunately i i did have some of it on the youtube channel but whoever owns barba papa is is extremely litigious and uh it was taken down almost immediately oh no yes unfortunately and and there's all kinds of barba papa fans out there that are trying to locate some of these dubs they're they're very very hard to find but i have about five or six of them but yes it was um it was really international children's programs and, and where obviously it was not in English, uh, they, they were dubbed versions. And so Fables of the Green Forest was, I would say, almost as important as Polka Dot Dora. It was on every day. Uh, it was on in the morning. It was on in the afternoon. It was on in the early evening. And I got to say, as a kid, I was not aware that I was watching a, a Japanese uh, animated program. That's how and, they get you. Yeah, well, that to the yeah. credit of every of Ziv, <laughs> they uh, they did a pretty great job of of making it seem, um, well, you know, I can't say making it seem American because it didn't seem like an American show either. 
I think, you know, I've read that that theme song that everybody, you know, of a certain age can recite. Um, it has an almost otherworldly feeling to it because the, the women singing it, uh, you know, they're not English wasn't their first language and they just did this wonderful job of singing it, but in a, in a very unemotional way. And so, yeah, it was a dark show to begin with. And there was lots of violence and lots of um, darkness in it. But as kids, you know, it was on TVO between Polka Dot Door and today's special. So parents just let us watch it. But we always knew there was something is not quite right about it. It wasn't until many years later when I uh, started to research the history of television and understand that it was a Japanese program. It was kind of a, a mind blower uh, when that revelation came out. Uh, and Des, can you talk about your early experience with it and just, you know, sort of where this show fell in, yeah. that, uh, in that early 80s lineup of, uh, of, of Radio Canada programming? I guess I think on TVO, uh, I believe, especially at that time, uh, Fables of the Green Forest would have been the only anime, which is a contrast to Radio Canada, which was kind of actually almost majority anime at that time. Yeah, this is what I, uh, this is why I, uh, I wanted to go. Um, I feel like we, I really grew up with a ton of Japanese anime on TV in my, in my early childhood. I was born in 76. Uh, by then, uh, Radio Canada had already aired the Mini Free, Maud Sky Sally. So yep. the older generation already was familiar uh, about like weird Japanese cartoon as my mom would call them. Uh, because yeah, uh, unless Ed here, I was always kind of aware that uh, Japanese animation was Japanese because back then like we had, uh, we had a dubbed anime like around, uh, I'm thinking about like my early childhood, like when I was like five, six, seven in uh, 81, 82. Like before, like the, the cool car, toy cartoons like Transformers and shit uh, hit the hit the scene and changed uh, the TV landscape. We had access like to anime and like older uh, cartoons from the the US, like uh, Hanna Barbera and that kind of stuff, or like retro uh, like Looney Tune shit. So I always kind of knew that the Japanese stuff was different. And when I asked my mom, she would just say, "Ah, those are." Like Japanese cartoon, like Japanese are very weird. They they love the melodrama. They everything is always so intense in in, in Japanese cartoons. So I was like, oh yeah. So these all of the cartoons I like the most are Japanese apparently, and I I I quickly was able to like tell the difference and know those shows were Japanese in my in my very early years. And you non dismissively so, uh, yeah, love yeah. the melodrama and yeah, all these things that. that uh, that, the, that I, are just imbued then, in Japanese. Like back then, I was a huge fan of uh, Captain Harlock. Like back in 82, 83, Captain Harlock was the biggest car children's cartoon on TV. And it definitely wasn't that much for children. It was kind of dark and violent and um, not that violent, but like definitely different from the usual uh, like Saturday morning cartoons. It's got some scenes that'll haunt your dreams for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, oh man, some scenes in Captain Horrock still haunt, haunt my dreams today. Have you ever seen the, ori the original series? I've 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 seen the whole thing and I caught some of the dub on a rebroadcast on uh, on Radio Canada there, a few years there ago. There is a too. scene yeah. where one of the I'm gonna just make a a, 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 a small segue here. There is a, a tangent, not segue. There is a scene where like one of the crew members of the ship uh, falls in love with one of the bad guys, the Mazones. Mm -hmm. And she takes him to the ship and he 
sees one of the, the mesons getting born and it's like some weird kind of liquid that falls into a little crater and it turns into like a crazy, creepy alien baby. And that scene still haunts my dream to this day. I know. I, I remember that, that part too, yeah. <laughs> that creepy, that scary, but for the six-year-old kid I was, it was like mind-blowing. Oh yeah. my God, this is like an alien being born. What's going to happen? <laughs> you see the dad, you know? That kind of stuff kept growing in my head. So yeah, Les Contes de la Forêt as it was called in Quebec, happened a little bit after those shows. I think mm-hmm. 83, right? 81? I think 82 is when it right debuted. Which, so yeah, it was after Goldorak yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Captain Harlock. So and, I was very yeah. used to like sci-fi Japanese cartoon. And then suddenly that's... Uh, we also had that show about uh, Le Petit Castor, the... I was going to say The Little Beaver, but the show was called uh, Don Chuck in Japan. I, mm-hmm. I guess you know what it is. So we already yeah, had that, yeah. one show about cute forest animals on TV. And then this one happened. And I feel like it was like, every kid my age remembers uh, Le Petit Castor. It was one of everyone's favorite show in Gen X. And La Forêt Verte was definitely not as uh, popular. Because I, face it, it was kind of boring. I think it was. It's all about the context of where it's all running in. Uh, yeah. Which I, I think is really interesting because I think it on TVO it really stands out uh, as mm-hmm. this sort of um, subdued, darker kind of kind of show, even though it's about you know cute animals. Um, on Radio Canada, it really kind of takes on a different meaning in the overall lineup because you have yeah. again some a couple shows that were like it already running, and then it's you know running almost alongside things like Albator, Captain Harlock. And mm-hmm. uh, and I guess like Cap- Captain Future and, and oh yeah, things yeah. like that. Also, yeah, I also love that one. Yeah, this so, one I used to watch with my dad. This was very special. It was the only cartoon he would watch with me. I don't know why he <laughs> liked it. He loved Captain Future. The whole I mean, the whole reason it was dubbed because because there was just you know there was demand for that content. And I, I was gonna say you mentioned the World Masterpiece Theater earlier. Mm-hmm. Is it just me? You are like almost half of the anime we had on French Canadian TV was from the worst masterpiece theater. I don't know about half, but a good yeah, portion of a lot of them. When Certainly. I became aware of that series in Japan, I was like, hey, wait a minute. All of those shows were part of this. Yeah, certainly <laughs> certainly more of them in French Canada than yeah, 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 in, in English-speaking French. Canada and the United States. That's actually part of what makes it so kind of fascinating to a lot of people is that they're like these huge and- culturally significant titles in like Quebec and Europe and Japan and like most of them have never been seen in North America. Because... Like the Anne of Green Gables that they produced. Oh, yeah. That's never... one of them, right? Yeah, that aired in Quebec on Radio Canada. Anna... So you could you could watch it in yeah. other Anna cities and other Gables, provinces. It did here in Radio Canada, but it, it aired kind of late. Uh, and I think it was in 87 or 80, 88, but it was like a 70s show in Japan, yeah. right? And but it, yeah, was, and it re- re-ran into the 90s until 97. It on, was on such Radio a phenomenon over yeah. there. I feel like all of these shows, they, they really uh, everything Japan knows about the Western world came from this these the, the series. I feel sometimes. Yeah, it, it it was like a you know a very prestige title, and just you know also to give more context to you know what it's airing in Japan, um, kind of related to what you were saying, how it was on Radio Canada. It aired just one hour apart from Cutie Honey um, on J- at Japanese TV at that time. Mm-hmm. So just kind of gives you an idea of... Uh... We never had Cutie Honey. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> oh, gee, it might have why. been a little bit too um, risque yeah. for... That, that did air in France. 
Um, oh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Um, as for my own background with Fables of the Green Forest, I have to admit I had never even heard of it um, until I started doing this podcast, and it was brought up on the very first episode of this podcast by Emily and I think I think a couple other people as one of the first shows they had seen that was anime, and that's because I was born in 1986, so I just I even though it was airing on Knowledge Network in BC, it would have been before I was born. And I pretty much missed out on it. Uh, the new, there was a, you know, that alternate dub that ran. I never saw this myself. And we're, we'll, we'll get into that a little later, I think. Um, but that was sort of the, the first um, mention of this, the, the dub that I had heard. But before I started making the podcast in 2014, I was sort of introduced to it in a way uh, because this show the original Japanese version was parodied in another anime that ran in 2014 called Shiro Bako, uh, which is oh, an yeah. anime about the animation industry. Most of the characters in it are based off of um, actual pro- prolific figures in the, in the, uh, the world of Japanese animation, except for all the main characters who are cute girls who look almost the same. Um, but it's a, <laughs> it's a very entertaining show. And it's very well written um, from um, Michiko Yokote, who was the, one of the writers on Cowboy Bebop. Um, it's, uh, it, it is, it's a really great show. I recommend it. The main character, Miyamori, uh, the show that, you know, kind of inspired her to go into the industry and see anime as an art form was called Andy's Chucky. And it's basically a parody of Rocky Chuck. Uh, except what's funny is that Andy's Chucky in that show is depicted as being very adventurous. The, the scene that it sort of recreates is them venturing across a mountain, um, I can't even remember why. Uh, and I think it's just funny because after now sort of looking into Fables of the Green Forest, Rocky Chuck, and just seeing what the original was like, Johnny or Rocky, whatever you want to call him, uh, he has he has two different names. He's the complete opposite of that. Uh, if anything, he goes out of his way to avoid adventures. He just wants to sort of be left alone and and just sort of mind his own business. One of my favorite scenes in this show is when one of the last episodes when these kids come to his door, they're basically asking him to like come join them and play and go on adventures and stuff. And he basically just tells them to fuck off because uh, he has more important things to do to prepare for the winter. And he's right. And you know that that kind of stuff is I think what kind of makes this show unique and great. And you know it's it's very similar to a lot of other world masterpiece theaters shows in that regard, because it kind of focuses on this sort of day-to-day uh, slice of life kind of uh, kind of existing in the the green forest, which uh, in is the area around the Connecticut River is uh, what their uh, what the setting actually is in that show, um, and you know the the animals just you know try to get by and protect themselves. They're in constant danger, um, but they 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 just cooperate to the extent they need to except for chatterer who is constantly diving into danger uh deliberately that's the bird right uh chatterer is the squirrel oh the squirrel okay yeah the bird the bird's just uh well, he warns people of danger and annoys them as a result of, warning them of danger. so annoying <laughs> yeah. trouble trouble i guess we should probably talk a little about the original books that it was based off of uh, it was a n- large number of stories typically these world masterpiece theater titles they will adapt one book and draw it out over 52 episodes. And as a result, they are very slow paced. Um, oftentimes, and in, like usually the first half of these shows will be filler or take a small part of the story and excessively drag it out and then jump forward and dash through the rest of the story at a faster pace. 
Um, with this, Thornton W. Burgess, the original author, had written over 15,000 stories. Pretty much every episode is drawing from one of the original stories. And there's no sort of linear timeline to follow, really. So they just kind of can just kind of pick and choose things and assemble it together. Uh, and I think it makes a really full kind of rich show in its 52 episode run as a result of that. So Thornton W. Burgess was from Sandwich, Massachusetts in Cape Cod. He was born in 1874. So the, the most important thing about this guy is that he was a real pioneer in conservationism. He was very ahead of his time because he was spreading environmental consciousness to children through his stories and to the public in general at a time when industrialization was just being wholeheartedly embraced in a very positive way. And he was very much against the grain in you know, just the Western world in general. And he really was one of the first people to sort of recharacterize the idea of like the great outdoors as not a place that needed to be feared and conquered, but more like a place that's filled with lots of animals who are who are fun to hang out with and maybe you should empathize with a little bit. His first wife died in childbirth and that actually led him to raising his son uh, alone for the first few years of his his son's life. And he just began writing bedtime stories for him. And he eventually started getting these stories published um, through his work. Uh, and that these stories became the basis of his first book, which was Old Mother West Wind in 1910. Uh, and that introduced most of the characters that you find in Fables of the Green Forest. And he basically just wrote about the environments that he grew up in and, and loved and appreciated. And over 50 years, from 1910 to 1960, he wrote uh, six nature columns a week for daily newspapers across the United States. Uh, and he did this each and every week without fail. And he had a very, <laughs> it was a very prolific career to say the least. Just his writing itself directly led to major conservation efforts, including like he, like the story, the story that he wrote about duck migration and, and hunters, uh, which was captured very well in one of the episodes of Fables of the Green Forest. He basically used that as a vehicle for getting readers and pe just people who who followed his stories to establish bird sanctuaries. All these conservation efforts were driven by, you know, the, the, the work he did directly and the work he did through his writing. And there's actually an entire museum devoted to him, in, or sorry, there was an entire museum devoted to him in Cape Cod. Um, unfortunately, it closed in 2014. So that is is no longer there. But uh, they had lots of displays and, and, and things with all the characters that you'd find in uh, Fables of the Green Forest and his stories. Um, and his work is all in the public domain now. You can find it all on Project Gutenberg. Uh, unfortunately, the version that you find online um, doesn't have the little illustrations, but uh, you can, you know, you can still buy the books. They are, they are in print. They are available. Were either of you familiar with his stories at all? I had never read any as a child. I, um, I had seen them in, in our school library, mm -hmm. but they were like very old editions and they were not to be handled by students. They were like, uh, I don't know if they were first edition, but I yeah. remember they were up, up high you know, in a glass cabinet. And I'll, I'll never forget making that connection that, um, that that's what it was, uh, which again, to, you know, as a kid in grade, grade three, it was, it was big news, <laughs> big news in the playground that day that we had the fables of the green forest books in the library. Yeah. That, that's the case with a lot of the world masterpiece theater stuff. They are books that have fallen into obscurity or that are out of print or difficult to get. A lot of the times you have to, 
um, like go to the archives and libraries to read this stuff. That's uh, when I was researching the the Bush Baby for another podcast they did, which was another um, another World Masterpiece Theater title that aired on TVO and uh, other broadcasters in Canada. Uh, I had to basically go to the library and take pictures of it and read it later uh, because you they wouldn't even let you take it out. Aware a lot of uh, of that of that series of books, and I feel kind of sad that. Like French Canadian people are were completely oblivious to such a huge body of work, and we all people my age all know the animated series based on it, but not the actual book it was based on. It's kind of sad. Well, I have a couple things to say about that. One, um, I think that the opening credits for Fables of the Green Forest is incredibly presumptuous about how familiar children were of the stories. Because uh, what does it say that um, they're the stories you know come to life, and it's just like who the stories you read about all stories come to you life. read about oh. all come to life, in, but like no one, English, no one actually the English version. If that's the English opening credits, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the, um, the French credit were completely different, and also the show itself. Honestly, from the little I've read of the of the stories and from what I've seen of the show, it does an excellent job of adapting it. It it doesn't it captures the characters, the setting, and just the and most importantly, the conservationist message. Um, it's instilled in it, I think, very effectively. And it is also never preachy, uh, which is a very important thing. It tends to weave that well into, into the narratives, uh, into, into the characters, uh, into the, you know, the the the, the probably the, the most compelling um story story thread within it, which is um uh, the characters uh dealing with Farmer Brown and his son Tom. One thing that's kind of lost in the the English dub is that you actually never hear them speak uh, in the original Japanese version. Uh, they're always mute. I don't know how it was in the French version, uh, because, of course, there's only one episode of French available, and I don't think... Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think they don't speak in that version. Yeah, the this is something the English dub kind of, kind of embellishes with a little bit, because they dub over the farmer and his son, whereas in the original Japanese version, they never speak until the very end, where you when you finally hear Tom speak. <sighs> I really don't uh, remember that. Yeah. And because, you know, he's he's seen the light and he can, uh, you know, we, we know that he can empathize with the animals. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's kind of lost in the in, in the English dub. But, you know, that's that's fine. It still works. Um, I've been like that in Quebec, too. I feel like I, I, I think I remember the human very, being kind of alien in that show. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, funny about the character of Peter Rabbit in Fables of the Green Forest and and uh, Burgess's work. So he effectively stole that character from Beatrix Potter. Uh, Beatrix Potter created Peter Rabbit, and he just kind of used it in his story. It was a different time for that kind of thing back then. Um, but in the later stories, and they did an episode about this in Fables of the Green Forest, where he uh, he rebranded, I guess you could say, Peter Rabbit as Peter Cottontail. He invented that name. And then Peter Cottontail was stolen by Gene Autry. Uh, and then also by Rankin Bass and the, the special that was done later. Yeah, I was going to say that all yeah, of the names it. were completely changed in French. So, uh, and they, they were all kind of weird, like kind of stupid names too. So I, I did compare the show to uh, to the uh, Dom Chuck, it's Castaro earlier. And I feel like as, as kids, we liked the other show better because the animals were more like humanized, anthropomorphed, or I don't know. Mm -hmm. they, they were animals but they like kind of acted like people in living in the forest while this show the animals are more animalistic they wear some clothes like a hat or they always wear 
what, what? Like one or two little pieces of clothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, that is that is straight from the books in the original they're, books. They're you see the illustrations. That, their reality is very like animal based, mm-hmm. and I think this is like the big difference between the two shows, and maybe why we could relate more to the show where the animals acted more human, if it makes any sense. I felt like the animals were depicted a little bit more like animalistic than in the other shows about two cartoon animals. And I, I found it a bit like weird at the time. Maybe it was a bit harder to relate as a kid. And now as an adult, I when I, I rewatched some of the episodes, I thought it was pretty cool the way they, like they made you uh, feel like you were in, this, in the shoes of those animals and like, the humans are the bad guys and you experience like the real life uh, issues that, like animals in such a forest might face. And it's quite interesting, I feel. Yeah. I found that the humans weren't depicted so much as villains, but they were very, villains, but... very unpredictable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very mysterious. Like they don't understand why the humans, you know, kill th- kill more than they need. They're never quite sure if they're going to um, do something that will hurt them or in, in the case with Tom, sometimes something that will uh, help or, or protect them. I think there's a lot of neat little personality quirks with the animals. They're they're personified um, or they're they're caricatures, but they all in addition to having their little little uh, little piece of clothing. There's always little traits about them um, that will remind you of the actual animals and the way that they interact with each other mm-hmm. is sort of consistent with how you would expect these actual animals to act. There's, there's a lot of nuance that goes into the characters that I, I guess you probably appreciate more as an adult when you're, uh, when you're going back, uh, go, going back to look at it. Um, one thing I also found very amusing is that they all, you know, they all wear those, they all have um, clothing and it's uh, Joe, the otter. He wears scuba gear, which is mm-hmm. very funny, time. but from certain angles, it looks like he's wearing a koofy cap, which that, that's always what it looks like um, when I'm watching it. That also might just be because of the, the, the poor quality of these rips makes everything oh. look a little uh a to little me, it looked like a scuba mask it from certain angles you can tell it's clearly a scuba mask <laughs> and that it's a weird choice you know again it's uh, it, it gives them a little a little a little personality as well and again there's a lot of a uh, a lot of a lot of neat nuance and and as i kind of touched on before it really feels like they're a lot of the the characters have complex relationships as well they're not all just you know, buddies hanging out in the forest. Um, no man, like I feel like half of the cast wants uh, wants to eat the other half. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. There's a fox, and definitely wants to eat the other animals. Like a real fox would. Do. Oh yeah, Re- ready. Kind of hanging together sometimes, Re- and it's Re- so weird. Ready fox or Larue. Um, I think he is in, in uh-huh, French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's he's my favorite character for sure. He's definitely um, the most I think interesting character, and it it, it shows the most in in. Um, in Japanese, in the English dub, actually, another thing we have to touch on is that there are actually um, multiple voice casts for Fables of the Green Forest in English. They uh, each season has has a different voice cast, but he oh. he kind of sounds like a sassy jerk trickster kind of uh, mm-hmm. kind of person in in English. In Japanese, uh, Reddy has a he's a very insecure, nervous adolescent that really comes through in his voice. Who he tries his best to act threatening and tough around the other animals and you know they they know how to, they kind of know how to deal with him 
um, or exploit him in many cases as well. Uh, his his threat only goes so far. But then when he's you know, there's a one episode where he um, there's a few or a couple of episodes actually where he's just sort of interacting only with his grandmother who he lives with, and uh, that's yeah, where he really yeah, comes through that. as a more vulnerable kind of character, especially when again they cross paths with the humans as well. So there's a lot didn't of she, um, didn't she look exactly like him, but in drags. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, the, the characterizations are are really neat uh, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important to to qualify. I thought certain things when I watched it as a child, mm-hmm. and then I thought many other things when I watched it as a grown up. But as a kid, which was really the the most exciting time to watch yeah. it, um, you know, I think about the other programs that were on you know, roughly the same time. Um, and this uh, goes back a bit to what you were saying about the, the, the ecological themes in the show. Um, you know, we were watching the raccoons on CBC and obviously, you know, that was, that's a, an interesting a, contrast. Well, yeah. it, it, it was. And I mean, so much later. Well, yeah, the original, the first TV movie was, was 80, I want to say 82. Um, this series was later, but I definitely remember, you know, that was, it was a, a similar program in that it was very concerned with animals and the forest and, you know, the, the obviously raccoons, it was much more heavy handed. Um, yeah. Ecological messaging, but you know, it was there uh, in fables and there was another program. I don't know if it was, if it was shown um, dubbed in, in Quebec uh, called Hammy the hamster or uh, tales of the riverbank. Um, which was not not animated, but it was uh, actual actual uh, mice and gerbils and wildlife that were uh, filmed, sort of driving Barbie cars and driving wow. in boats and stuff in, in you know wow. somebody's backyard. And then it it had a narrator who was this guy Paul Sutherland, and it was all shot in Uxbridge, Ontario. So. And, and that had never see that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah, no, there's, there's really nothing like that. And uh, I always think about those those programs all together because they were all about animals. And you know, as you guys are saying, the the characters, some of the characters in Fables were so vicious, and you know, Freddy and 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 the Blue Jay certainly were kind of terrifying uh, <laughs> as a, as a kid. You know, like I was scared of it. And I think you know, hopefully, we can talk a bit about the music and, and just mm-hmm. the, the way, uh, I guess you guys are very familiar with, with, uh, anim- Japanese animation and, and certainly the styles uh, from that time and from, from that series. But again, out of context, it was, it was very unsettling. Um, and I think sandwiched between, as I said, on TVO, some of these other programs, um, but, they were also showing a lot of just really weird stuff from other countries. So I think as a kid, it was like, that was part of the thrill of TV Ontario was that you were going to get these programs that were, you know, ostensibly for children, but they were kind of scary. And this would all culminate (laughs) in Dctor who coming on at six o'clock. Right. For children, but they were for, for different kind of children. Yes, but right, exactly. Boring um, one. This is where yeah. this is where they keep the weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know it totally yeah. it totally felt like that. And I think when I revisited it uh, as a grown up, um, you know, it was j- just trying to imagine, trying to remember, like what 
what were you thinking when you were watching this? Because it really is fascinating, you know? Yeah. Watching it now sure brought me back uh, to that mindset I used to have as a kid. It brought back a lot of memories too. It was fun. Well, I got to thank you, Jesse, for making me watch all of those, that that old stuff and revisit my childhood like that. It's always interesting. Always (laughs) a pleasure to, uh, to, to, uh, to unearth this stuff for people. Um, But yeah, that, I, of course, I never watched TVO myself, but I think I, I kind of understand a lot of that sort of atmosphere that you you get with all these um, all these sort of various shows from different parts of the world with with wildly clashing tones, and the the Tam uh, identification logo showing up before a bunch of weird British shows. Oh my uh, god! No! 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 I know. Don't talk about. Whenever that logo would show, like, paw, 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 yeah. paw, paw, I, I knew and, for sure that whatever would follow would be fucking scary. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, had, I, we had a lot of those shows in French, too. Yes, no, and, you know, I, we did get uh, C, CBLT, which was uh, Channel 25, which was, I, it, I guess it was Ontario's version of Radio Canada. Like it wasn't the same feed that I guess you would have got. Um, and it, it was it was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I a lot of young people that, uh, you know, ask me about stuff on Retro Ontario. I think, you know, everything now is uh, nowadays on linear broadcast television is very sanitized. It looks the same. It feels the same, whether it's a commercial or a mm-hmm. logo or a show. And then you get on the streaming services exactly the same. But of course, we have YouTube. We have all these you know wonderful BitTorrent sites where you can look at all this weird stuff. But that experience in the 80s or, you know, if you're old enough to remember even the late 70s, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was it was very, very um, unsettling. I keep saying that, but, you know, it was like you never quite knew what was going to come on next and what the vibe was going to be, and, and, you know, I, because, I miss that. You know? We miss it's because, like, TV was experimental as hell by then, yeah. and also, like, countries were more isolated. So, whatever would come from a country would be very different from whatever would be like produced in another place. Another place, and yeah, was, I mean, it was like an adventure. I mean, these days we can just like clearly organize all these TV shows, put them in order, label them properly, uh, yeah. tell people where they're from, what they're about. And just categorize them so you can find them and uh, and and browse through them as you like, but we we've lost that sort of flow and ephemeral nature of just kind of throwing everything on the air and uh, and uh, and the vibe or atmosphere that that creates. It's uh, definitely something that is gone and something that was unique on TVO and Knowledge Network and and those channels. Um, and I yeah again I, I I didn't see Fables of the Green Forest uh, in that context. Uh, I, I only know it, of course, from you know watching episodes on YouTube, which is the only, you most of these episodes are on YouTube. By the way, there are a few missing, unfortunately. It's but you so can watch strange, most huh? of the English dub there. The <laughs> only okay. one French episode is available. Yeah, it's the one with the river, I think. Yeah, with yeah, the, and that, the ge- with the geese. Yeah, you with uh, with, uh, with Mister Looking for Mister Duck, or, or the um, search for Mister Duck. Or, it wasn't duck. Sorry, it was search, it was a geese in French. Just, I, I know it wasn't a duck. No, it wasn't duck. You're right. The search for Mister Quack is what it was called. <laughs> so I guess maybe maybe it's it's more ambiguous. Oh, um, and it's funny because I remember that the in the show they, they would always refer. Like you said they were the Connecticut River. 
Yeah. I, I remember that in Quebec, it was the, the river was called La Rivière La Grande, which is like an actual river in northern Quebec. Oh, wow. And when I was oh, a kid, so they, I thought localized this it. took place in Quebec. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like uh, ground chucks and uh, rabbit. It, it works. It's uh, just kind like of how, animals we have here. Just like how <laughs> King of the Hill takes place in southern Quebec. <laughs> Absolutely. They always do that. Even in The Simpsons. They make a lot of references yeah. to Montreal and whatever. Uh, it's so strange. Yeah. Uh, going back to what Ed said about the music in the show. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to point that out because the music that you hear in Fables of the Green Forest, and I think this applies to the French version as well. It was kind of hard to tell by the one episode uh, that's mm -hmm. available for the French version. Uh, but half the music in it is from the original Japanese. Japanese. Yeah, yeah it does sound like yeah. the original and it's Japanese it's very... Uh, ethereal and atmospheric uh -huh. uh, the other half of the music was produced by uh, the production company Ziv International worth noting that Ziv International you, they, you know they were an LA like, based licensing company um, the two founders were Irv Hollander who's you know he, he was he was a pretty pretty typical kind of uh, kind of executive type uh, he uh, and he went on to uh, become the executive producer of Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. After he uh, after he was done with Ziv, <laughs> uh, but wow, yeah. Uh, but the other guy who found it was Mark Mercury. Uh, he's from a band called Bullets, and uh, he produced he he produced all the original music for that was inserted into the silent moments because of course it's it's you know world masterpiece theater especially but Japanese programming they're going to have a lot of silent moments um, to just sort of with no mm -hmm. music happening and yeah, can't have and that in, uh, in. They would, uh, they, they still do that with Ghibli films. Well, at least they, no, they, 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 they have do stopped in, doing that with Ghibli films. Yeah. I noticed that when I would watch like the, like the English, the English, the Japanese, the Japanese version with the, the English subtitles and the subtitles with subtitles stuff that's like, there's complete silence and subtitles just pop up and I'm like, what? Yeah. What the hell is going on? Yeah, they did that with with Castle in the Sky. Uh, they added a whole whole bunch of music, but they've removed it. They removed that extra okay. music from the the latest one. And you know, it's a thing that characterized Ghibli films. Thing that characterized World Masterpiece Theater. Lots of silent moments filled in by Mr. Mark Mercury, um, and he also did the th the theme song as well. Uh, and I I found that the music um, was you could generally I th I find that if you once you know that. Um, you can, or, and even if you're just not comparing the Japanese version to the dubbed version, you can tell a contrast between the original music and the the filler music. The filler music's a lot, um, uh, a lot cheerier, a lot. Uh, it sometimes doesn't feel like it fits. Yeah, uh, it's kind of yeah, jarring. The original music has a lot more atmosphere uh, to it. Uh, but more actually, the, the music was a big part of it because, as we would see in later. Um, Later dubs, especially as Hayam Saban came into uh, dominance with children's programming, uh, licensing music and, and making royalties off of it is such a huge part of, of localizing. Yeah, um, yeah. This is true. Like, I feel like most people in the English-speaking world know Hayam Saban because of the Power Rangers. But for us French-Canadian kids, we would see his name plastered on every anime show that would come from France in yep. the early uh, That's where he started. Was, uh, was, I know, I know, I know. Gnome's producer on, uh, on Goldorak. But the thing is that, yeah, Mark Mark Mercury, he was a headliner of this band called Bullets. And he, Ziv also did a couple of other dubs. Uh, they did, they actually did a dub for Captain Harlock. They did a dub for Candy Candy. They did a dub for Captain Future. They did these, um, 
just totally licensed thing. They didn't do much of them. They only did a couple of episodes, but Mark Mercury did like absolute killer theme songs for each one, especially Captain Harlock. Uh, it is it is an absolute bop. Um, but those 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 uh, title those localizations never really went anywhere. Yeah, you, uh, they are they are lost media. Uh, apart from just a few clips that are floating around, and uh, you'll see it. You know, it, some some people will show at panels. People like Mike Tool or or Dave Merrill will show those at uh, um, at panels at conventions. Um, but that's kind of what what he's best known for. After he after Ziv Ziv was sold to Lorimar Pictures in uh, the late eighties, and then that got sold to Warner in nineteen ninety three. I think that's how that why the whole new separate uh, dub of Friends of the Forest happened later because the rights just kind of fell into a black hole somewhere. But after Ziv kind of disappeared, uh, Mark Mercury made his name known um, for doing planetarium music. That's what he's best known for oh. today. So and he's, he's called Mercury. He does planetarium music. Not his real name, but it's oh. I, but I I think it was still maybe an aspiration, <laughs> self fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, that's um. If you're going to talk about the music, I'm going to talk about the theme song in French. I, I have to, I have to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, if you, if you, if you would allow me. Oh, uh, if, yeah. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I said earlier, I feel like this show is not. This show is very remembered by people, by people my age. Uh, it's like a lot of shows that just faded into obscurity. Not this one. People remember La Forêt Verte, but people don't remember anything about it aside from. The theme song for some reason, and I don't know why. I guess it was weird and a bit cringe and a bit catchy at the same time. It's very different from the English one. Yeah, they would sing like uh, just uh, what was the lyrics again? It was like c'est c'est donc une fable de la forêt verte. Allons-y tous ensemble, apporter grand ouvert. But then they would have like a part where uh, they would like name some animals and they would make noise and it was like and the bird would, would go like yeah yeah they, they and there yeah. was the bird and the it's bird, like they're introducing each one and then they make yeah, obnoxious noises like, yeah for, for the beard they would like they, they, they were they were going like notre ami le grand tous and this line everyone remembers for some even kids who did not grow up with that have heard about it's like a synonymous with like bear noises i I didn't realize it was so infamous i have no idea why this always comes up in conversation when whenever this show is brought up people talk about the birds and the bears and the opening credit and the weird noise they would make that's strange that's so funny des because um in the english dub the theme song is primarily what is remembered by gen x but it, it it's totally different from totally that. Different. Yeah. Hey, it was just weird. And uh, we'd be remiss, Jesse, if we didn't talk about the kind of weird uh, home video life of uh, Fables. Yeah. Uh, so there's never been anything to, I, I think it's commonly assumed that Fables of the Green Forest, the dub was produced in Canada. Uh, I have actually found no evidence of that. Um, oh, there's no cast list. We don't know who the cast was on the show. And this show has two casts too. It's crazy how there's that information there is on that. I, I, I tried yeah. to, to I tried to find out if the show, like the French version, 
was translated from the English one or from the Japanese one directly, and I couldn't find that information anywhere. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about the French cast in in just a bit, but the there were oh, two. Yeah, yeah there I were two. Something about that. Yeah, there were two casts for the English version. Um, if you watch the episodes now, they're re- I believe they're resequenced to be in the original order as the you know the airing in Japan. Um, but I, I if you like the first chunk has one cast, and that you hear that cast in some like. Um, random episodes in the middle and then in the final winter arc they come back but the rest of the episodes have a completely different cast um for the show i that's so weird my what i suspect and maybe um maybe ed can confirm this i think that the first season consisted of like the first few episodes a few episodes in the middle and then the final episodes and then for the second season they went back and redubbed everything with a completely new cast i don't know if you uh if you remember that or if that was the case during the first airing at all, but that's kind of that's kind of what I pieced together. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't remember noticing that then. I mean, I notice it now. Um, yeah, don't don't remember it then. And I I must say, you know, the the VHS there there was a release by media. Yeah, uh, which was you know mostly horror films really um at, at that time and goodness only knows how they i mean it has the ziv card at the beginning yeah well Z- ziv obviously made this dub to get it on tv i don't think they wanted to get it on tvo i don't think they made it with tvo i think tvo is no, no no kind they of where were just it en- the broadcaster that's just, that's just where it ended up um yeah. but the only life that it had outside of or well actually 30 episodes aired in the uk uh it was it was cut short but they did get some of it there but in the united states and for the most part outside of canada the only life it had was on these vhs tapes that that's right and each one would be based around one of the characters and have like two episodes focusing on that character i think you you showed me the one you had i think dave merrill has this one as well it's the chatterer the squirrel well, yeah. Um, so, the, so th- yeah, that was that was the later release. The the oh, initial, okay, okay. The initial release was just a standard. Um, it was called Fables of the Green Forest. It was a mixture of episodes. Um, it had one opening at the beginning. It was it was almost like a like a a movie version in that they took three or four episodes and and stuck the credit at the beginning and then at the end. That one is on my YouTube channel. That's just a rip of of the media VHS. Yeah. And I always found that weird, like I said, because I associated that label with like John Carpenter's Halloween and, you know, like just (laughs) random horror films. Um, But then those later releases of which I have Chatter of the Squirrel, I've seen a few others. They were in those kind of oversized VHS boxes like um, they weren't distributed by media. They were. I think it was the company was called Charter. I could be wrong about that, but like it was a total fly by night uh, operation. Um, And those ones, I I don't think they have the Ziv uh, logo at the beginning. I think it, but I think you're correct that each one was focused on a character. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, again, it's the mystery of, of all this stuff, uh, even though there were home video releases. In fact, the, the media copy that I have, I found it in Florida in a, in a thrift store in Florida, which is <laughs> super weird. Um, yeah. There's just so much documented about other releases, but there's just question marks with all these. So yeah, we don't, there's not a not, there's not very much known about Ziv international, but I think there was a lot of hustle going on in the background and they just kind of 
got content out in any way that they could wherever they could which probably resulted in 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 weird deals like that with companies you wouldn't expect yeah i've never even heard of them yeah they um they're a very obscure company this is one of the few things that they're they're really <laughs> known for um and now i feel like if the show the french version had been translated from that version we would have seen the ziv logo maybe they would have like kept a similar version of the team song i, the, I guess yeah the, yeah, the ziv logo is at the beginning of the the french version is um, it yeah it is oh check. then okay but there you go it, yeah definitely... yeah so it, it was sub-licensed from them for that french dub for sure i um, definitely did not you know, remember that yeah i'll, I'll, I'll trust and, you and jesse to your point or your to your question about uh about TVO's involvement, um, that was something I was able to discuss with the, uh, a programmer from that era who I interviewed many oh. years ago. Yeah, the focus of the conversation was not solely on any one program. It was more uh, their their programming strategy uh, of that era of the late 70s. And what the woman explained to me was just that they were going to the 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 big conference in france every year uh like i guess it's called mipcom now but yeah i, I it's called something else back then um and they were buying these whether they were uk programs or australian programs or or, or french programs um and the way that she explained it to me was it, it, like you were saying they were just these really small small time outfits uh with a business card And mm -hmm. they were like writing on the back of napkins, like uh, there's 52 episodes of this and there's a hundred episodes of that or whatever. And this has a dub and this needs a dub. And the impression I got from the list of programs I reviewed with her was that, you know, TVO being the broadcaster in Canada opened up other avenues for them to exploit, but TVO had no input into any production decisions or anything yeah. of that nature. So yeah, that I think, you know, if, if someone out there is very serious about wanting to understand the providence of this whole thing, the Ziv people, it seems like that's, that's the next place to go. Right. Yeah. I think it will always be a little bit of a mystery to a degree. And also that like the hands-off kind of nature of, uh, of TVO, I think that's kind of what made its content special. because it, emphasizes all just coming from these disparate sources and all mm -hmm. kind of coming under one um really eclectic umbrella and i think it's i think it's important thing to uh to note and not to and not get confused about with with looking at what fables of the green forest was how, how did these people do it like back in the 80s like in 70s make contact in japan without the internet and bring back shows and i bet most of the time they didn't even speak the language no it was all done over drinks man just yeah. like <laughs> this is like so weird to me thinking about it as an adult now and, with everything we have yeah uh, and i had one other question about uh about tvo i've heard of many stories of uh kids watching fables of the green forest in schools uh because yeah. because tvo is very tight unlike we, other like this was the case knowledge network but i you, forgot to mention that but we did in quebec watched that show in class and when i was in first or second grade wow really 
yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, TVO was like they answered to the to the provincial government and they fell, in, uh, you know, under the education portfolio. So it was built into curriculum. Um, a lot of the programs they produced themselves came with teachers guides and, you know, all kinds of cool books that were part of the of the in-classroom experience. However, things like fables and uh, uh, Barba Papa were definitely shown. Um, but what often what it was is uh, the teacher would literally record it off of television. Oh, um, okay. And TVO had a wonderful thing for teachers where in they called it time shifting, where at, at 4 a.m., uh, between 4 a.m. and 7 a.m., they would just basically marathon a series for teachers to set their VCR to record so they could get a tape full of a certain show. I mean, it was so antiquated when you think about it now, but there were, I've, I know people that said they were up in the middle of the night, you know, in, in the, in the late eighties and fables of the green forest came on and it was on for like three hours, just back to back. And it would have been one of those blocks that was meant for teachers to record. So yeah, there's all kinds of just, funny weird stuff like that with the tvo history oh. just the storm's getting kind of bad and i, I gotta go deal with a couple of things so I, unfortunately i i gotta sign off but um i think you guys can can take it from here now okay right. ed where can folks find you on social media uh we're at retroontario.com. we have a youtube channel facebook page instagram feed all, all that jazz but visit the site and and learn about uh ontario's tv history it's so great to have to, to have you on uh, we'll My pleasure. Wrap, uh, so we'll we'll say goodbye here, but uh, Etienne and I will just wrap up uh, in uh, right. from this point forward. All right. So uh, we'll we'll just finish this off with the two of us because unfortunately Ed had to to leave early. We were talking earlier about the cast, and I wanted to just go back around and talk about the French mm. cast. As I mentioned, the English cast is a total mystery. I did read that apparently Jonathan Winters uh, from It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Apparently, oh. they Ziv originally was going to get him to do all the voices on the show, uh, which is a very bizarre decision, but that didn't okay. work out. And also, it would not have been his first anime because he was in uh, the Alakazam the Great movie dub from the 1960s. Um, but we do have a little bit of information on the the voices in the French version. And from what I can Wait, tell, they're, they're mostly the same people that we hear in a lot of other Quebec dubs, like in uh, like in Minifay and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Candy Candy. Like uh, Flora Belzano, Jean Fontaine, and a lot of a lot of people doing the same voices in different characters. This, this is one thing I noticed when I was a kid: is that characters sounded more Quebecois than what I was used to at the time. Yeah, kind of could tell that there was something different with that show. Yeah, because I know people it... sound, sounded more like like real people in Quebec that like. Oh, that's from. that's interesting because I know that a lot of the Quebec dubs, the the actors try to sound neutral. Um, oh, they try to sound neutral, but yeah, you can always tell they're not <laughs> French, uh, fr uh, French for one reason or another. Yeah, yeah. And, and this show, I could tell even as a kid that these people are from here. It kind of. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Even when you try to sound neutral, like some of the tiny accents or inflections would be different. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize that they gave it such a local flavor. That's kind of, and also just saying, like, explicitly saying that it's set yeah. in in Quebec as well. That, but the that, funny thing that, about that notable. cast, I'm looking at the cast, uh, the cast list right here, and and they have like fucking Yves Corbeil among yeah. the, the. I don't know if you know him. 
this guy is huge. He's, he's, he's one of the most well-known uh, actors and voice actors in Quebec. He's been he's got a career that spanned more than five decades, I, I guess. And vaguely familiar with him. He's very well known. Yeah. And I'm very surprised to see him pop as a voice and a random voice in such an old he's oh, he's he, he's a blue jeans, he, blah blah. He, he he did the bird. <laughs> yeah. oh, man, I, I, I really did not recognize him. Like, it would always speak like no, no, that, that that's the bird from uh, the Phillies of Gold. How how did the J sound? I forgot, but definitely not like if Carbet sounds usually. <laughs> this, this guy has a, he's got a deep voice. Hello, I'm Yves Carbet. He used to do like the like, like the lottery numbers on TV and stuff like that. Mm. His voice is very familiar. Whenever he dubs someone in the in the in the movie, and everybody recognizes him all the time, and it kind of breaks the immersion. Like you hear Arnold Schwarzenegger speaking with that guy's voice and. You're like that's not that doesn't work. That's not. Or you work. just see Jeff Goldblum in anything, and it's just like <laughs> it's Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that same energy. Yeah, oh, um, man, it's amazing. And yeah. then he is the only the only person I really recognize in that cast. Like you said, the other one I guess are more like uh, dubbing actors from the yeah the seventies and uh, a lot a lot of the same people you see in in the other or you you'd hear in the other. Uh, Who the uh, hell is Jean Artist de doublage. Okay, yeah, he's done a lot of dubs and a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, it, it's neat so that they. Great. It's neat that they. Uh, I can kind of understand. I think why they go with more a more of a localization approach with the French dub because, it, it. I guess there wasn't really any intention to export that version internationally. Nah. and it's in a it's and in we a were, natural we it's in a natural. We were not familiar with the source material either, so yeah. I guess they felt like they couldn't do anything with the one with it. And it's a very like natural setting; gives a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a, like a more rural area. You the, you could even interpret it as well. So, you know, it's kind of kind of a a, a fertile thing to work with in that regard. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can kind of see how it uh, how it worked. That, that show way. could have been set anywhere in North America, really. Well, yeah. Maybe not Florida, but you know, everywhere <laughs> um, where there's a winter. One thing I was hoping to talk about more when Ed was on was that second dub, uh, Friends of the Forest. So it is a mystery. Um, There have been, it's claimed to have run on TV Ontario uh, from October 3rd, 1993 to January 18th, 1998. Uh, We don't really know anything about it. The only reason we really know that it exists is because there was an advertisement for it that has been preserved and you can find that online. What's interesting about this version is that uh, they call the main character Rocky instead of Johnny. So in the Japanese version, of course, like the Japanese name. Yeah, even though it's Johnny in the original books, he is Rocky in the Japanese version, and it's changed back to Johnny in Fables of the Universe. Like okay. And in the French version, he's Tobon. Tobon, yeah. Tobon, Tobon. Oh yeah, because all of the names kind of mean something. Like Tobon would sound like all it's all good. It's Tobon. Garen is a type of rabbit. Uh, the 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 Blue Jay was called blah blah, which is blah 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 blah, like to speak. But I especially like, I mean, I almost forgot to talk about that. The the skunk, the skunk in French was called Tupuzu, which uh, is the sounds a lot like uh, uh, my French, Tupuzuku, which would mean uh, your ass smells. Yeah. So and it's a skunk, 
He's, Even as a kid, this was so weird. He's Jimmy. He's Jimmy in, uh, Jimmy, in, the, yeah. in the original. I love his design. I love the skunk's design. He's one of my favorite uh, designs in the show for sure. He's got that just big round nose. It kind of look. It looks kind of wrong for a skunk, but it's really distinct. Was I, was um, I, I was always happy to see skunks pop up and stuff because, like, French people don't know about skunks. So whenever a skunk uh, appears in a in uh, a, a fr- something that was dubbed in France, they just I wish like change a name for another animal they have over there that smells bad, and this was always wrong to me as a kid. But in that show, he was what we call the skunk in French uh, in Quebec, uh, Mufette. So uh, even as a kid, I was like, this is Mufette, this is perfect. Yeah. Why is this show using the right terminology and the other ones down don't? <laughs> but this is something that growing up in, in, uh, as a French Canadian kid was always frustrating because whatever would be dubbed in France would never use uh, use the, the like the local terminology. You know, yeah, like you know, like a, a like a sub a submarine sandwich in Quebec we call that a sous-marin, which is the uh, French for submarine. But in and stuff that would be dubbed in France, they would always always call it just a sandwich because that's just how they call it. Maybe they don't even know what the submarine is over there. Who knows? And it was it used to annoy me, to annoy the hell out of me. So I remember that watching this show felt right because of that. You know what I mean? Because it was dubbed in Quebec, and they like they they used the word I was familiar with. Yeah, and again, there was lots of shows that were dubbed in Quebec, but this one, I guess, it just kind of had a cozy familiar approach mm-hmm. to it yeah back to the, that friends of the forest dub yeah, um, yeah it's documented that it aired on ytv uh, i don't think that that's true i haven't really heard any compelling case uh that that's the case and also i was chatting with ed beforehand and he used to work at ytv and he okay. never found any evidence of uh, of that ever airing on the network oh. and also i never saw it uh because i watched a lot of ytv as a kid and i don't remember the show at all so I think I know that's it. correct, but I, I think what happened with this is probably that um, TVO or some person who was involved or some group that was involved with Fables of the Green Forest uh, wanted to keep it on the air, and but Ziv didn't exist anymore and they couldn't kind of locate the rights or anything, and it was probably just relicensed and redubbed um, and just kind of relocalized because, again, Johnny became Rocky again in that mm. version, which is one of the few things we know about it. So that's true lost media right there. Uh, and, you know, hopefully hopefully it'll turn up one day because I'm very curious about it. Lost media is always sad. Especially, yeah. I mean, you got, like I said before, you got a lot of people claiming that something that's, you know, not on YouTube or it's been out, out of print for a couple for a couple years. Is yeah, lost like, like the, the, but no, the real lost is not media. On, like the French version is not on YouTube at all. Yeah. I, I guess... Like I said earlier, I think like this show was not very popular with people. We all remember yeah. it, but it was not a hit with anybody I know. So I guess no, and, and since the French people, uh, the uh, Frenchmen did the, the French people never got that show. Uh, yeah. I guess a lot less uh, people in the French speaking world got exposed to it. And yeah, lot true lost media is is yeah. tragic. It really is. Um, there's one last thing I wanted to mention yes. here. I was talking a little bit before about um, Peter Rabbit and Peter Cottontail mm-hmm. and how. Uh, Burgess and his stories changed the name of the character over time, and then that name got stolen. <laughs> the, they did it. They did an episode of that in Fables of the Green Forest. It's episode forty-three, where Peter decides to change his change his name because you know he doesn't think his name's cool, and people aren't taking him seriously. Oh, man. Um, so he changes his name to Peter Cottontail, and this is like Sister Southwind, and that that's the other thing I didn't we didn't really touch on about this show before is that the seasons are personified. 
and the uh the sister south wind the 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 voice of the wind is like a character who you know she originally guides rocky or johnny to the green forest uh, where he, he uh, i remember that you know he, he you know he finds his home and she's basically just shitting all over peter for changing the name that god gave him uh and <laughs> and then he, he and he just like you know he gets on his high horse with his new name and and it just creates a whole bunch of trouble and there's like oh you shouldn't have changed your name you should have obeyed god and retained your curtain which is a very weird way of putting it and and oh, watching that now it just and like this definitely wasn't the intention but when i watch it now i'm just like oh this this the way this plays out this sounds like some kind of anti-transgender narrative written by some alt-right weirdo oh my god <laughs> um, right yeah and it, like if you watch the episode i, I it's it's probably similar well the french version is not yeah. available but i, I really wonder what they did in the french version because i mean his name was not Anything. his name was completely different yeah so it was yeah. it, it probably was a little different in that version but yeah episode 43 that's absolutely bizarre <laughs> yeah uh, yeah this I, is so weird when you watch old stuff and like something like that happens and you're like oh wait a minute this is weird yeah but this wouldn't yeah, but, fly anymore but again it wasn't the intention at the time but it just kind of takes not. on this unfortunate new new narrative now yeah. um apart from that i would i would say the show has uh, has aged pretty well um it's kind of hard to recommend uh yeah, if, you, so if you're if you're nostalgic for it as a an adult like i don't think you're going to want to sit through the whole thing but it's worth checking a yeah. few episodes out but the episodes are in such poor condition that it, it, it's kind of hard to watch might um, as well just watch the japanese version yeah, the... it hasn't been fully subtitled though um oh. they, it looks amazing though there's a blu-ray out of fables of the green forest in japan you can probably find those that version out there somewhere and mm -hmm. only a only a couple episodes have been subtitled but you you compare that blu-ray version to the tv rips of the old dubs that are floating around oh my god it's yeah, such a contrast it, it looks so good yeah it, it actually kind of changes the show a bit for me it, it has a those old recordings they 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 do retain a little bit of that tvo atmosphere I think you could say, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. but the, the Blu-ray rips, it's so bright and, and vibrant. It's too bad that they could, you could probably never get decent quality audio and reconcile it and match it up with that Blu-ray footage. Cause mm -hmm. if you could, you could, you know, you could make a nice remaster of that show, but I, I don't think that the, uh, the materials exist uh, or the willing manpower exists to do that properly. Um, no matter uh, how much you remaster something visually, you always can tell it's old because of the sound. Yeah. And I'm not sure what kids would think of watching something that looks this old at this point. I don't know. I don't know if kids can tell the difference. It's uh, a good question. I guess yeah. it depends from kid to kid. I know like one of my friends, kid really loves to watch old anyway. And she's like, yeah, oh. I guess I'm underestimating children. Can't, it uh, always depends. Yeah. Can't, can't expect everyone to stay in their lane or, you know, <laughs> or, or, uh, or do as expected. Hey, you know, we were, we were saying how kind of boring it gets when everything is, is, uh, neatly laid out for you and organized and mm -hmm. easy, easy to navigate. And you know what everything is. Sometimes you need something yeah. a little, little weird and dark and mysterious. And hopefully there are, a little chaos. hopefully there are kids stumbling on these, uh, these old fables of the green forest dubs on YouTube. I hope they're not there aren't that many kids wandering around YouTube discovering like Andrew Tate videos or whatever. Uh, hopefully they're finding this instead. <laughs> it's, a, it's a better thing to stumble on. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, all right, Etienne. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Did you have any final thoughts uh, to share before we, before we end it? 
because I had to rewatch that show, I have the theme song stuck in my head again. Thank you for that. Uh, and I have, like I said, I have, I have no idea what kind of weird property that song had to influence uh, an entire generation of French Canadian kids who remember the show, uh, the song, but not what, uh, without anything that happened in the show. You know what? I'm not going to complain about any legacy it's left behind. I think it's a positive thing. Um, yeah, yeah, we remember it, and it opened the the door for more more Japanese stuff. Which yeah, is always good. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll end it there. Uh, so, Etienne, can you just let everyone know where they can where uh, they can find you on social media or yeah, anywhere yeah, online? First of all, thanks for having me again. Uh, and uh, you can find if, if anybody can find me on uh, on Twitter at uh, Omega Des and uh, on uh, my and the website of my webcomic, which is uh, frivolesque.com. F R I V O L S Q U E. And I can spell in English. dot com. <laughs> Yeah, and thanks for tuning in to Zon in Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found on his album Packet Flood, and you can find that at ultrakleistron.com. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. See you again. Yes, the stories you've read about all